Welcome to the Sword and Staff. I'm your host, Josh Robinson, and joining me today, as always in this Chinwag edition, is my co-host, Richie Brock. And on today's episode, Richie and I are going to be reflecting on last week's episode on spiritual beings and cryptids. We're going to be answering some questions that came in from the Sword and Staff Facebook group. We've got some interesting questions that we wanted to answer on today's episode. And we're going to be having a discussion on all things Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, and spiritual beings. So today's episode should be, I, th I think it's going to be fascinating yep. uh, to talk about some of this stuff. Richie, what are you thinking about today's episode? Oh, I'm excited for it. I know we've been uh, meaning to dive into Tolkien a little bit since we started. That was one of the main points we wanted to hit on in the podcast, but I'm glad we're finally getting around to it. Yeah. Yeah. If you guys didn't know, it, we're huge Tolkien fans. We love Lord of the Rings and, oh, yeah. and all that stuff. I actually wrote an article about some themes in Tolkien that was on the symbolic world. And we released it as a narrated episode here for the sword and staff. So we really love Tolkien Lord of the Rings and seeing how that kind of overlaps uh, with, with some of the things that we talk about, we think that there's some big time overlap there. And so some of that'll get brought out in today's episode. So if you're listening to today's Chinwag edition of the sword and staff, make sure to head over to Patreon and to become a patron so that you can get the full uncut version of our longer bi-weekly podcast and not only do you get the bi-weekly podcast uncut but you also get every single episode of the sword and staff whether it be a chinwag edition or a narrated edition or just our regular episodes you also get them earlier so as soon as Richie and I finish those episodes, those go up onto our Patreon feed and you guys get to listen to them first. And then after that, they're released later on in the evening for the rest of the world. So head over to Patreon. It's www.patreon.com backslash sword and staff order. Sign up for five bucks a month and you can get the sword and staff uncut and you can get the episodes earlier. So with that out of the way, that out of the way, Richie and I will take a moment to think about and to reflect upon last week's cryptid episode. So Richie, what did you think about last week's episode? Any interesting feedback you want to talk about? Anything like that? Um, yeah, I'm surprised. I'm actually pretty surprised at the feedback that we got. I'm uh, going into the cryptids episode. I didn't think it was going to be something uh, too heavy on the spiritual end of things, but that's exactly where it went during the episode and i know we had tons of people just coming out of no out of everywhere every corner with questions comments and it was pretty crazy yeah yeah I, it was an episode that seemed to have gotten a lot of attention it's already almost over a couple hundred listens now which for us is you know that's that's good for us we've talked about that we're, we're still a fairly small podcast but um but yeah, it's definitely got quite a bit of listens to it. Uh, there's been a lot of questions come in through that episode or because of that episode. And we're going to get to some of those questions in today's Chinwag edition. And we actually have two questions, uh, two sets of questions uh, from a couple different people in our um, private Sword and Staff group on Facebook. So if you guys are listening and you're on a part of that and you're on Facebook, you need to go find that and become a part of that because there yeah. are some questions and uh, discussions and all of that type of stuff happen in that group on Facebook. So um, we've got two questions from Jason Diffner. And we actually told Jason that we would be answering his questions on this week's edition. And so these are some really good questions. 
um, and they're questions that we've kind of gotten a little bit in the past. And so it gives us a little bit of an opportunity to clarify some of this stuff and to maybe flesh it out a little bit fuller uh, since we've not had the opportunity to do that in some of the longer episodes that we've had. Um, but the question, the first question that we've got from Jason is a question on elemental spirits. He says, I have a question on elemental spirits. I might have missed this at the beginning of the episode talking about last, I think it was last week's episode he was talking about here. He said, um, but are these in the class of Nephilim, which are spirits of human slash angel hybrids or original fallen angels of the Bene Elohim class? So if you guys don't know what Bene Elohim means, that is the Hebrew terminology used for sons of God, uh, angelic beings. He says, if original fallen Bene Elohim are all fallen angels, some form of cryptid or just some like a subclass. So that's a pretty good question. I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll take my stab at it. Richie, if you've got anything that you want to add to that, you can feel free to chime in. So I would say that um, the elemental spirits are of the Bene Elohim class, which are the sons of God uh, angelic class. Um, I would say that demons are fall under the Nephilim class. Um, yep. so as the scriptures go on, you see the spirits, uh, the spirits of the Nephilim, they get called Rephaim in places like Isaiah and in the Proverbs and in some Psalms. Uh, they also get called the shades, you know, the spirits of the dead, you know, that kind of thing. And that's where the unclean spirits in the New Testament come from, which are what demons are. So demons come from the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim. But on the other hand, elemental spirits, they come from the Bene Elohim, right? They are the fallen right. angels. They are the sons of God uh, in the Genesis 6 event. And so to answer the question, are all fallen angels some form of cryptid or just some, like a subclass? Um, well, I think it's pretty clear, according to Peter in his epistles, that not all of them who, uh, who fell are. So some of them, we know, are kept in gloomy chains, in darkness, in Tartarus, he says. Exactly. Or, yeah, or in the, the, the deepest part of the underworld. Um, so not all of them are, uh, have cryptid phenomena, uh, you know, or, you know, that type of thing accompanying them. Um, some of them are, so hopefully that, that answers that question. Um, the next, the next, so he says, is that like a subclass? Yeah. And I would say that that is just one of m several possible ways that these things could, uh, manifest themselves. So we did a whole episode on UFOs and that type of phenomena as well. And so, uh, basically, what I would say is all of these different things that you see are different masks that these spiritual beings can take on over the centuries, right? Right. Like uh, they could appear as the god, as gods to you know ancient Near Eastern cultures and you know Indian Native American cultures. Uh, they could appear as elemental spirits or things like fairy, uh, you know, all of that type of stuff to other cultures. Uh, to our culture, whenever you look at the phenomena, it has very similar overlap with some of the phenomena that you see in Genesis chapter six. So they could also present themselves as we think as UFO, alien, UAP, that type of thing. So, yeah, I, I would say not all of them are cryptids. They there are subclasses that they can manifest themselves in. Uh, so, Richie, I don't know if you got anything you want to add to that. Uh, I think you cut you covered it pretty good there. That's that's how I feel about it, too. All right. Good deal. Well, the second question that Jason answered 
And this is going to get us into some of the Tolkien stuff, <laughs> yep. which, which we've been looking forward to. He says, another question for Team Josh and Richie. Uh, Josh mentioned that Tolkien and Lewis not only, be, uh, not only believing in cryptids, but the possibility of good cryptids. Do you guys believe this? It seems that if they are fallen angels, by definition, they would all be in the category of evil, irredeemable beings. And so um, to start off, I'll say it this way. Tolkien and Lewis were definitely not thinking in terms and categories like we are like they would have never used the terminology of cryptids right right yeah like they they like you're you're not going to find that in in Tolkien or you know in, but you you will see Tolkien and Lewis talking about things like elves and fairy and that type of thing which we think falls under the category of of you know cryptids and that type of thing they don't use that type of language but right. we do and you do see them talking about the existence they, the possible existence of such beings you know like uh you know lewis for example talks about that he thinks that uh, elves could be like a, a mediatory type of species between you know like angelic being and you know m- you know so- something like that and um so I, I just wanted to kind of get that out of the way first and say that they definitely weren't kind of using the type of terminology that we were. But it does seem that they did believe that there was the possibility for things like good elves, evil elves. And you, and you really see that embodied in the stories, right? Like, right. Especially like Lord of the Rings. So, I mean, like in Lord of the Rings, you've got things like, you know, you've got the elves, right? You've got high elves. There's all sorts of different, like, subcategories of elves in lord of the rings but then you also have a corruption of the elves um in um the orcs right right Um, they are a corrupted evil version of what was created by iluvatar um as good right and so it, it certainly seems that they believe that there was a possibility of there being good beings like this and you see that embodied in their stories. And so do we believe this? And so I would say, yes, uh, I think that we, yep. we do believe this. And so, and, and here's the reason why. The church throughout its history um, has held that there are spiritual beings who govern the elements, right? That are, right. there are some who are good. And then there are some who are evil. Now, I would be more comfortable using the terminology of um, what we see in the angelic hierarchy um, right. for those types of beings. So if you're not familiar with the angelic hierarchy, it's basically the way that the church has thought about angelology throughout history. Um, you really see, you see it in people like uh, Dionysus, the Areopagite. You also see it in really uh, prominent in the works of Thomas Aquinas in his Summa Theologiae. Uh, and it's in, um, I think it's, I can't remember if it's uh, the volume two or volume one of the Summa, but it's in question 55 and it's the third answer that he gives. I'll have to go back and, and look at that specific reference. But, um, but in, in his Summa, he talks about that there is this angelic hierarchy and he divides this angelic hierarchy up into what's called three choirs. Okay. So in the first choir, you have these beings that um, they are created for the purposes of 
um, guarding God and, and the throne room, right? His, like we, we talked about this a little bit in our first spiritual beings episode uh, about cherubim and seraphim and thrones and how they guard their, their task is to worship God and to guard the throne room of God. And so that's, that's the first angelic hierarchy, right? It starts with seraphim and it goes to cherubim and it goes to thrones and, and that's their, their task. That's their work. And then that angelic hierarchy, it emanates out from God and into the world. And so into the next hierarchy, we see, uh, what are called dominions, virtues, and uh, powers. Um, now, some hierarchies in the Middle Ages, they kind of flip this. Um, virtues may not be here, but it may be principalities. I don't think that it really matters that much. But um, basically what the church has said is this second hierarchy. And these beings in this second hierarchy, whether they be dominions, virtues, or powers, or dominions, powers, and principalities, they emanate out from God into the world and are concerned with the governance of the world on God's behalf, right? Right. Um, and so you see that, you know, I think that principality does make sense there because principalities, you do see them as being geographical rulers, Right. You, you see that in Deuteronomy 32, God divides the nations according to the numbers of the sons of God. And then those sons of God who are over the nations later on call, um, take the name of princes, right? You see that in, in like Psalm 82. Uh, you see it in Daniel 10 with the prince of Greece and then the prince of Persia. And then you see St. Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 talking about that we wrestle not against the you know, flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the principalities. So I, I think that the principalities do fit in that second category. Um, but so, but, but yeah, so then the third category, uh, the, uh, the choir are, so it emanates out, it, it, it starts with God, it emanates out into the world, and then it emanates out further into the world to men. And the third angelic hierarchy or the choir are the ones who are delegated the task of interacting and interfacing with mankind. And those are being such as in one hierarchy, virtues and virtues are said to be virtuous shining ones who, exactly. um, who, who bring blessings to man or supernatural grace to man, that they are the beings who do that. And um, some say that they, they are the ones who, you know, uh, work with the elements and that kind of stuff. So they're kind of like the good said to be the good version of the elemental spirits, right? Exactly. Very, very similar to what you see, like, uh, like you, you've got in Tolkien, you've got like the good version of the elves, and then you've got uh, the the corrupted version, right? In the yeah. orcs. Um, so virtues would be like what um, elemental spirits would be, but the virtues are in good standing with God. They're they're still holding on to their yeah uh, purpose and their to the created order. And uh, elemental spirits, as we know them here, yeah, tend to be the the bands of them that fail in yeah. the rebellion. Yeah. Yep. It's uh, to use a better example than the elves and the dark elves or the, or the orcs. They're not, they're not celestial beings in Tolkien's world. Um, a better version of it would be say the Maiar, right? They're lesser angelic beings. And these are lesser angelic beings. The higher angelic beings in Christianity is that first category of, of spiritual beings, which are the seraphim cherubim and the thrones. Right. So in Tolkien's world, that are, that's the Valar, right? 
they they are these higher um, spiritual beings who are under Iluvatar. And then underneath the Valar, you have the Maiar, which are spirits that serve them, right? And it's it's very it's very similar. Um, but in say in Tolkien's world, a better comparison would be, uh, for example, Gandalf is a Maiar who is in good standing with Iluvatar, right? Right. Whereas Saruman uh, is a Maiar who who is the opposite. Who, who bends to the will of Sauron and is corrupted. You know, it's the same thing with the Balrog, right? The right. Balrogs, uh, you know, they were, well, I think the original name was uh, uh, Durin's Bane. Yeah. Right? And it is corrupted by Melkor and becomes the Balrogs. And it takes on the elements, right? The right. elements of, of fire. So um, it's very, very similar. And Tol- like Tolkien is aware of this. And, and the reason why is because Tolkien was a traditionalist Catholic, right? So he was, right. he's very familiar with St. Thomas Aquinas, you know, and, and that kind of thing. Um, and so he would have been very familiar with it. And you can kind of see it getting embodied in his own uh, celestial hierarchy in his work. Right. But um, but yeah, so we we would say yes. Um, we think that it is possible for there to be good spiritual beings who tend to the elements, and the way that the church has historically thought of that is in terms of the second choir of angels, which would be dominions, virtues, powers, or you could throw principalities in there. Whatever, however, you know, it doesn't really matter. But but right. so but yes, we would say basically what Richie said that there are some who have stood and are faithful to the one true God, and then there are those who have rebelled and have been corrupted because of it. And those are the the elemental spirits that we see in Genesis chapter six and right. later on through scripture. If you look at things from a, a pagan standpoint, which is kind of the road that I came to know these these categories by at first. Yeah. Um if you look at elemental spirits and virtues and you line them up, like elemental spirits is a, a really well-known construct in paganism in mm-hmm. magic. Yeah. And in magic, they tell of elemental spirits being foreign from the earth. They come to the earth and they clothe themselves in the elements that they were originally given charge to protect. So they lay claim to the elements and take the elements for themselves, which is where they get their reputation of being uh, vengeful and harmful towards mankind. They've taken uh their segments of creation they've been given to protect and taken it as their own. So when, even in the descriptions between virtues and, I mean, they call virtues, the shining ones in uh, traditional Celtic fairy lore, elemental spirits are beings of light. I mean, you talk, you hear them talk about in Ireland and Scotland about the fairy lights and things like that, that if you line them up side by side, they're direct comparison. So elemental spirits are the fallen counterparts, definitely of virtues that's that's fascinating um there there does seem to be one place in scripture where elemental spirits could be used in a good in a good light and it seems to be the only place that i can find in scripture where that happens and it's in galatians 3 and 4 and it's a text that we've discussed in episodes before but basically what paul is saying in galatians 3 and galatians 4 is he's writing this letter to uh a church uh, in galatia which is mostly gentiles but has been influenced by this group called the Judaizers and the Judaizers, 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 can believe it sounds like a <laughs> kind of a bubble gum that my daughter would, would have or something. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but anyway, the Judaizers would, were trying to get the 
uh, Galatians to go back under the law or to go under the law and to take upon themselves the markers of the Mosaic covenant, right? You have to be circumcised. You have to keep the Torah. You've got to do uh, all of this stuff, right? And they're saying that like in order to be right with God, you have to become ethnically Jewish now. Like you have to come over and, and come, you know, come under this covenant. And basically, you know, Paul's, Paul's response to this is this is going back under the covenant and being enslaved uh, to the elemental spirits that gave the law. So like in Galatians three, you know, he talks about um, uh, the, the law being given. He says, so it's in verse 19, he says, why then the law? Well, it was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but uh, God is one. So basically he's saying this. Why did God give the law? Well, he gave it because of transgression, right? It, the law is a means to curb sin, right? It's this standard that he gives that teaches us how to uh, teaches the Jewish people how to live. And the interesting thing is he says that it was given in verse 19, 19, right before verse 20, he says it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Okay. And then in chapter four, the next chapter, he's, he's continuing this um, conversation about the law. And he says, uh, he says this, he says that whenever you turn back, um, he says, you know, that whenever you turn back, he says, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elemental spirits of the world whose slaves you want to become once more? You know, and he, he talks about um, basically he well, there's another verse here, too, um, that talks about it in verse three. Or I'll just read at the beginning of verse uh, starting at chapter four. He says, I mean, he says, I mean, that an heir, uh, as long as he is a child, he is no different from a slave though he is the owner of everything, but he is under the guardians or the managers talking about the law uh, until the date set by his father. Okay. So he's saying that the law was this guardian. It was this um, manager. And he says that it was, we were under it slaves to it until the date set by the father. Okay. So when was the date set by the father? Well, he, he says before that in chapter three, uh, he says that it was put in place through angels and that, um, that it was in place until the seed would come. And the offspring is what he says in verse 19. Okay, so now here he says this. He says, in the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the, elementor, the elemental spirits of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of the woman, born under the law to redeem those that were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons, right? So basically his, Paul's argument is this, God gave the law because of transgression. It was given by angels. Therefore to go back under the law, to want to be, to go back under it. Now that Christ has come is to go back under the elemental spirits that mediated that covenant and its law. And think about it, the, like the, there, there are elemental things going on with the giving of the law as well back in Exodus, right? Oh, yeah. You've got the thunder and the lightning atop of Mount Sinai, right? And right. so you can definitely see the, these, these elemental spirits, these angels at, at work here in the giving of this law. But, but Paul's argument is, no, nah, this was a tutor. This was a guardian. And it was only 
there until the offspring, the seed would come until the date set by the father. Now he says that time has come. He says the fullness of time has come. God sent his son, born of the woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons, right? So his argument is don't go back under that. And it's not because these, these spirits who gave the law were evil, right? No, they were doing God's bidding, right? God, they were working on behalf of God, but he doesn't want us to go back under a covenant that was mediated by angels. He wants us to be recipients and members of this new covenant, which is mediated by God, the son, right? Which is Jesus Christ. And that's the whole point of Hebrews, Right, Paul, like, or well, I think it's Paul who wrote Hebrews. I, I, it's probably, I think that, I just, you know, I think that uh, that's what the church has historically said. And there's very much, there's definitely Pauline language there. Um, you know, it could have been sermons that was recorded by Luke. Who knows? We don't really know. But I, I tend to think that it was, it was Paul. But you know, the beginning of Hebrews, you know, it opens up, and it talks about the supremacy of Christ over the angels. And it's dedicated specifically, it's called Hebrews, right? These were people who were, who were putting, who were under this covenant that was mediated by angels. And this is a book dedicated and and written to the Hebrews. And listen to what he says. He he talks, I think it's St. Paul. He says, he says, after making purification, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having becoming so much superior to the angels, as the name he has, has, has inherited is much more excellent than his. For, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I've begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, whenever he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels, let all of God's angels worship him. Right? Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. So that's interesting, right? There's a verse here being quoted that talks about the angels being like the winds. That's this is elemental spirits, right? Right, Virtues. But but basically what the writer of Hebrews is saying here in Hebrews chapter one is this new covenant is so much better than the old covenant because it's mediated by Christ Jesus. He is greater than the angels who mediated the old covenant, who gave the law on Mount Sinai, right? The ones who control the winds and who are his who are his ministers who are like a flame of fire. They he is greater than them. And the reason why he is greater than them is because he is the Son of God and all of the angels worship him. Right? And then that's what right. that's what the writer of Hebrews spends the rest of his time flushing out throughout the whole book. I mean, I, if whenever you look at it through this lens, it totally reshapes the way that you think about Hebrews. Like, like, it does. but that's what he's doing. Like, you know, in, you know, chapters, you know, in chapter eight, he shows that how Christ comes from the priestly order of Melchizedek. And in chapter eight, he talks about how he's the high priest of this better covenant, right? And then in chapter nine, he talks about how uh, there is this greater temple now that's greater than the temple that that you know the the Israelites had the Hebrews had in Jerusalem under the Mosaic covenant. You know, chapter ten he talks about how Christ is this greater once for all sacrifice that surpasses all of the sacrifice 
sacrifices that Israel had to make time and time again. Right. right. And so that's why Paul is saying what he's saying in Galatians. Don't go back under the covenant that was mediated by the elemental spirits. Right. Don't don't go back. And somebody may say, yeah, but it says elementary. Some translations there say this was an objection that I actually received this week from a, a man that I was talking to. But he talked about that he didn't think that elemental spirits were actually uh, he thought it was elementary principles because some translations read that. But the problem with that is this, that Paul in Galatians three, which we already read, explicitly says that the law in verse 19 was mediated by angels as intermediaries. They are mediators of this covenant. Right. So, and you also have to do the, you also have to deal with the fact that in the ancient world, elemental spirits was a category that everybody was familiar with. Right. Oh, yeah. So don't tell me you care about reading the Bible in context whenever you want to ignore the historical context in which the Bible was written. Right. Right. You, you, you can't actually care about reading the Bible in context. If you want to ignore the historical context and the, his, the, the, the history in which it was written in. So, so, you know, hopefully that may answer any objection that somebody may have thinking, you know, that, you know, elemental spirits don't exist, but also hopefully that answers Jason's question um, which talk, which was, uh, about good elemental spirits, you know, scripture does seem to, to use that terminology, but it's rare about elemental spirits are good. The, the elemental spirits that gave the law of the covenant at Mount Sinai, they were good, but the way that the Christian church, um, historically has talked about good elemental spirits is through that second choir of angels, you know, it being right. virtues or, you know, that, that type of thing. So hopefully that answers that question. Rich, you got anything else you want to add to that before we move on? Nope, I'm good. All right. All right. So the next set of questions that we have is from a listener named Vivek Rajon. And I really hope that I am pronouncing your name right, Vivek. If not, please correct. <laughs> please feel yep. free to correct me and Richie and we, because we would love to be able to pronounce your name correctly. But okay, so Vivek's first question is this. He says, my question is this. It, is there any indication in scripture that the divine council members and heavenly beings have certain skills or such that they are associated with. I know Dr. Heiser, talking about Michael Heiser, uh, talks about there being a hierarchy and different ranks in the unseen realm, which makes me think that it's possible that angels have different power levels and skill sets and personalities. It also seems that elemental spirits are associated with nature and watching over certain elements in nature. So they were created with that in mind. Obviously, the watchers who taught humans uh, taught humans had to learn these skills from somewhere, and Enoch refers to them as heavenly secrets. If these watchers knew these secrets, I'm guessing for a certain purpose in the heavenly realms, is there a possibility that other members of the heavenly host are expert on certain skills? So that all throughout the angelic realm... Different angels are experts on different things. For example, some angels might be experts on music, some on heavenly weaponry, if that's a thing, <laughs> some on warfare, and all this correlates to the jobs, tasks they are assigned in the heavenly realms. So that is Vivek's first que question. So Richie, 
we just talked about the hierarchy of angels. I don't know if you want to take a stab at that and then I'll take a stab at it after you, but. I mean, immediately it reminds me of uh, even what I learned in paganism. I mean, in paganism, they look to, to the archangels for uh, certain skills and uh, abilities that are associated with them. Like, like the archangel Raphael, they, they call him an angel of healing. There's Michael that's in charge of uh, spiritual warfare and protection. Right. And, and he's still he's pictured that way, right? Exactly. Right. In, in, yep. In art. Yep. Yeah. I think that that's that's spot on. And I think that that getting a handle on the the church's angelic hierarchy really kind of sheds some light on this. So yep. as we talk about, like this angelic hierarchy, it starts with God and it emanates out into the world and then to humanity. I don't think that I got to talk about the part that emanated out into humanity. I think I got caught up on the second part. But uh, but yeah. So there. So it seems to me that the first heavenly choir, which is made up of seraphim, cherubim, and thrones, they are tasked with the purpose of worshiping God and guarding his throne room, right? Um, so one of the, you do see heavenly weaponry among the cherubim in the, at right. the end of Genesis chapter 3. He has a flaming sword, right? Right. Um, so it, it would seem to me that some of these spiritual beings do have the knowledge about how to make things like weaponry, that type of thing. Um, so the, the next hierarchy is the one that emanates out into the world, which are the, the dominions, the virtues, and the powers. And these ones, it seemed to me, are skilled with the uh, controlling the elements, right? Um, right. The, the way that nations um, govern that kind of thing, that's what principalities do. Um, like they are geo, uh, geographical beings, uh, that kind of thing. You see that in Deuteronomy 32, which we talked about earlier, and some of those other texts we talked about. Um, but it, it seems to me that, that the one that emanates out into the world is really skilled at, at governing the world on God's behalf, right? Which is different than right. what the first choir does. And then the third choir, the last choir, are the uh, the ones that we're, we didn't get to talk about. I don't think that we talked about them, but are the like the archangels, the angels, and some of them have virtues here. Some of them have principalities. I think, I think, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't really matter to me, but the, the, what's thought of here is archangels and angels, they interact with humanity. So you can see how this hierarchy, it, it starts with God and it emanates out into the world and all the way to humanity. And this is where things like guardian angels even come into play. Right. right, like who who are assigned to uh, to to Christians, and um, you know some of these uh, you see in Revelation, uh, like chapters one through three, that there are uh, angels actually assigned to churches. Right, you, it talks right. about there being you know there's this this lampstand and right and then you know all that stuff, and then there's the angel of this church and the angel of that church, and so. Yeah, I, I think that it's entirely possible that all of these angelic beings have different skills. Uh, they have different purposes. Um, some are probably, it's, it's even possible that some are perhaps stronger than others. Who, who knows? There's some of these things that we know and some of these things that we don't know. So hopefully that answers that question and that's helpful. Um, Rich, you got anything you want to say on that one? I mean, just looking at the question, he brings up Enoch referring to it as heavenly secrets. I mean, I know in uh, paganism yeah. that uh, the magical arts are called the secret fire, and it was brought down by these heavenly beings. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, it. in some ways, it, 
you know, some of these spiritual beings, like the second choir, are tasked with the governance of the the world. And, you know, it ties back into, you know, spiritual being as sun, moon, and stars that we talked about in the first spiritual right. beings episode that we talked about. You see that in Tolkien's uh, world as well, right? Like Tolkien, he's got um, Valar who are over things like the winds, right? And then they have these Mire spirits that serve them and they're the spirits of the wind. But uh, you also see them as there are Valar over the sun and the moon and the stars, right? Yeah. Right. And there's these spirit, these Maiar spirits that lesser spirits that serve them. And it's very similar. It's very similar in the Christian hierarchy. Like, you know, you even see this, uh, you, you, this is why the, the Bible talks about spiritual beings as sun, moon, and stars, right? Because God right. is these spiritual beings, and this is going to probably rock your world, but they, they are, they are working with these things that God has created. They are working on god's behalf he has delegated to them this authority to make sure that these things do operate to the laws that god has set in place in the laws of nature and things like that right um it's you know virtues are thought to be the the miracle the the angels that uh, you know uh miracles come through you know that kind of thing so but like i said you see very similar things in tolkien's world with you know the valar you see similar things also in Lewis's uh, Ransom trilogy as well. Like, uh, you know, in the mythology that he creates, there are also spiritual beings over, you know, the planets like Paralandra and Melichondria, you know, all of those. So it's a very, it's a very Christian idea, a very traditionally Christian idea that, you know, there are beings over these things. And you can see how, um, for example, in Enoch, whenever they come down and they bring things like astrology, like these were probably beings who, who were uh, doing this type of work, right. Who were right. Um, in the governance of, of spiritual bodies and, you know, that type of thing. Right. So, or they were under other beings that done the work. Right. Cause yep. even in magic, they caught the, the knowledge that was brought by the serpent to uh, people who practice sorcery and, and stuff like that it was called a stolen fire so that's the knowledge that they brought was stolen so it wasn't yeah. theirs to give on their own that's exactly right and well you see that also in in the you know in the greek stories as well like with prometheus like stealing yeah, the, exactly stealing yeah. the fire right and you know we talked about that a little bit um you know with the knowledge of good and evil right the the tree of evil imparts this creator's knowledge um right. and so whenever the serpent tempts Adam and Eve to partake of that tree, it's literally stolen fire, right? But right? it's literally this stolen knowledge that it is only for the creator. It's a creator's knowledge. It's not something that was, was made for them. Or, you know, some commentators think that perhaps God would eventually gave them that, that you know, allowed them to have taken of that whenever they matured, who knows? We don't know that's speculation, but, um, but very similar ideas, right? It's it's this idea right. of stolen fire, and so yeah. Uh, I mean, you even see that in Tolkien's uh, in the Silmarillion, where Melkor is searching and sending out servants to search for the secrets of the the secret fire of Iluvatar. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's it's fascinating. Um, you know, it, it just. It, which this is going to get us into the next question because five X going to ask us about Lord of the Rings and um, you know, some of that stuff, but uh, well, actually, no, actually he's got a different question here whenever I'm looking at it. So 
but I, I want to say this before we move on to the next question. Um, the reason why you see this st- stuff in Tolkien is because, again, he was very familiar with this. He was a traditional Christian. Yes, he's a Roman Catholic, and as Protestants, we have differences and, you know, all of that type of stuff. But he was very ingrained in a tradition that took church history seriously, right? And because of that, he he had a knowledge of a lot of these things that for us being modern Protestants, you know, who have a skepticism towards church history. Um, he had a knowledge of these things that we typically don't, we, we don't, you know what I mean? Right. And so, but, but we want you to see in this episode that these things are traditionally Christian. This is the way that right. the church for the majority of her existence has thought about these things. Right. And, you know, we don't want to be given over to a, what we talked about in the last episode, which is a chronological snobbery, Right. Right. Well, we look at those who come before us and we just turn our nose up to them and think that they were either superstitious or they just didn't have the knowledge that we as modern has. No, this is this is Christianity for, you know, for the majority of history coming up until, you know, the the Enlightenment and, and, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. So we are concerned, you know, this is one of the reasons why we exist, right, to to remythologize all of life from a Christian perspective. And I, I think that, that Tolkien and his stories gives a really good way to, to think about these things. Right. Um, it brings enchantment back to the world. I mean, when it, think about it, guys, whenever you look up at stars, what do you think about whenever you look at them? Well, as moderns, most of us look at them and think, Oh, there's a giant ball of gas, but that's not how the church has thought about them. Right. And that's not how the Bible talks about them. Right. These are, these are, beautiful things created by our God, whom he has delegated over uh, to their, their ruling, delegated over to these spiritual beings that he has also created. And they were created to bring him glory, right? So this is the reason why when the biblical writers looked at them, they saw things like spiritual beings. And so that that's a whole different way of looking at the world, right? Right. Yeah. I so, mean, these categories, um, for uh or common knowledge between christians and pagans right from the beginning i mean pagans have um, an obscured kind of vision into these categories but even just a common knowledge of celtic fairy lore with what they understand is enough to have a a correct understanding of these things that tolkien puts in his story yep that's that's right yep that's that the we have to keep in mind that the stolen fire is stolen fire right right? it's it's true knowledge but that's been taken and then it gets distorted right but there's there's elements there that are true right so that's something that you've got to keep in mind whenever you're you know you're thinking about this this type of stuff right yeah it seems like it makes it uh more treasonous when the the intention behind its use is twisted so Mm. in its proper context the fire gives glory to god but when it's stolen by these uh, fallen divine council members and things like that, they twist it and warp it into their service to benefit them. Yep. They, they come as, as the gods of the nations and, right. you know, you use it, um, use this stolen fire, this stolen knowledge as means for their own glorification, you know, that type of thing. So, or to even barter it to get uh, advancements in the land or a stronger influence on the people. Yep, that's right. 
All right. Well, that was that's the end of Vivek's uh, first qu- question. Now, the second question that he has um, is a little bit more challenging. Um, and he says, I have a question. Um, certain extra biblical books, such as Jasher, talk about the, that during the days before the flood, not only were angels taking wives, but they were also mixing, uh, the, there was a mixing of species together in order to provoke Yahweh. Forbidden mixtures of creatures to make things that were not supposed to be there in the first place. I know that Jasher is not canon. However, do you think that animal-human hybrids that Jasher seems to point to um, can be the sighting of some of the cryptids out there? That these uh, these can be demons that manifest themselves in these forms in the physical realm. Is that a possibility? So, yeah. So it's 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 difficult in a way because um, personally, I'm not that familiar with Jasher. I've not spent a ton of time reading Jasher. Uh, I mean, I I know what it is. Um, I actually have it. I've just not spent as much time in it as I've spent in other things like. Enoch and some of the Dead Sea Scrolls and things there like the Genesis Apocryphon and you know things some things like that but there there does seem to be a tradition well I I can say this there does seem to be a tradition uh in Second Temple uh Jewish thought that does seem to think that there are things out there like chimeras right and And you do see you, you do see that um you do see that in uh other mythologies right um, you see that in things like Greek mythologies, um, which we talked about a little bit last week with some of the mythological creatures that we talked about. Um, but that does seem to be to be out there in the world. And, you know, it you know, one of the things that I have uh, uh, that I have come across in studying some of these topics um, is that uh, that does seem to be a, a fairly prominent thought in some of the things that I've read. So uh, a lot of people think that that's the reason why the Lord uh, mentions in Genesis chapter six, that he is going to destroy all flesh, right? Um, not just, uh, so I'll just, I'll read Genesis six here and Richie, we can, we can have a discussion about some of it, but it talks about, I'm going to start um I'm going to start in verse five after the sons of God text that we've talked about. It says the Lord God saw the Lord God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of his thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth and it grieved his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and the birds of heaven for I'm sorry that I have made them but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord and then it says these are the generations of Noah Noah was a righteous man blameless in the in his generation Noah walked with God which is a term uh used prior to that about Enoch um and Noah had three sons Shem Ham and Japheth now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence and God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them and the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms. You know, he, he gives, 
you know, all of that. But, um, but anyway, that's, uh, yeah, that's as far as I'll read, but it's, it's interesting, you know, that in the text explicitly, God mentions in verse seven, I will blot out man who I've created from the face of the earth, man and animals and creeping things and the birds of the heaven, for I'm sorry that I have made them. So it, there, I, I don't want to read something into the text that isn't there, but right. that thought is out there and it is in the ancient, uh, in the second temple period. And it is interesting that the text doesn't just say that God, um, uh, is sorry for making man, but he's also sorry for making the animals. So I'm, I'm open to the idea that that could be a possibility. I don't know if it's, I mean, it it could be a possibility, but I don't know where I stand on that. I just know that that tradition is out there. I don't know if I myself hold to it, but Richie, I don't know if you've got anything you want to say to that. Yeah. I mean, I know that uh, we actually kind of discussed this topic uh, about a year and a half ago, just on a whim. Right. We were talking about, uh, uh, chimeras and hybrids and we were wondering if uh they were some the results of some sort of forbidden mixture yeah. and if the spirits of those beings or something was responsible for cryptids but that's definitely a theme that's out there in um uh, magic and paganism as well that yeah. through the the knowledge of the stolen secret fire that these beings were created and even idolized and worshipped and yeah i've heard i've definitely come across that before yeah but i, I don't know where i stand on it yeah i've run across I've run across things talking about like the Nephilim corrupting animals and yeah, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, you know, it, it could, it could really, it really could make sense of some of the chimeric type things that you see in other mythologies. But again, it's, it's something that I would have to invest more time in. Like I said, I've never really looked at Jasher seriously and you know, that kind of thing. So I would have to spend more time looking at it, but I know those things are out there. And so if you guys are yep. listening, you know, those are things that you could possibly look into and, and to think. Yeah, so about. we're definitely familiar with the ideas. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So now we're going to talk about, and this is something that, uh, it's uh, this thing, this has got me oh, so, so crossed up. I don't yeah, know what to think too. about it. I don't know what to think about it. So if you guys aren't familiar, uh, Amazon has, uh, they have bought some of the rights to the Lord of the Rings. I don't know if it's some, they might have bought, I don't know uh, the, the exact deal with that, but they are about to produce a series on the second age um, going on there that you find it in like the Silmarillion and things like that. Um, yeah. But they're releasing the show in Amazon on prime uh, just, or Lord of the Rings on prime is what the account is. That's the official account for this, this project that they're working on. They just released the first picture from from the show, and it has been blowing up all over social media. Oh, right? yeah, it's everywhere. Yeah. It's all over the place. Um, the day that it was released, I think that I, that's all that I saw on my news feed for that day on Instagram and on Facebook. So if you guys haven't seen the picture that we're talking about yet, and if you're Lord of the Rings fan, first off, shame on you. And then second <laughs> off, second off, you need to go to uh, the the Lord of the Rings on Prime. It's on Facebook and on uh, Instagram. You'll be able to find the picture that we're talking about. But uh, it is a breathtaking photo. It is. is it, it really is. It is a breathtaking photo. And that's the reason why it's got me so crossed up exactly because here's the reason why i'm crossed up first off i don't trust amazon i don't right 
don't right. I don't trust Amazon to do justice to Tolkien and and his work. I just it's you know I, you know there was first off there was the whole debacle about there supposed to be you know nudity in the series yeah. and yeah. that kind of thing. You know apparently what's um, from what I've what we've gathered and what we've seen, it's not going to be it's not supposed to be sexual nudity. So there was a whole big doc, debacle about that. Everybody thought that there was going to be you know, sex scenes in the Lord of the Rings. And so yeah. everybody is immediately skeptical of that, right? Because Tolkien would have right. hated that. Um, and then we found out that apparently what it's supposed to be is it's supposed to be depicting uh, the, I think it's the corruption of the elves. Um, and, and it's going to right. show them yeah. going from elves to becoming um, the orcs right and that's where the nudity was supposed to have been so we don't know that but that's that's the new rumor on the streets so so but i'm crossed up right i just don't trust i just don't trust amazon to steward the legacy of tolkien but this photo that they have released from the set is absolutely it captures the essence of middle earth right like yeah whenever i I think you first sent it to me i was on the road and I, I hadn't got a chance. I didn't even know that they had released it yet. And I had to re- literally pull over and just sit and stare at it. It was, it was definitely a, like a, a sigh of relief seeing it because yeah. it really is beautiful, but just still the background of what we've heard about it and just Amazon's budget behind it. I mean, it is a, a massive budget for this project. I think and- that it has the biggest budget, like of anything like this, like right. ever like billions and billions of dollars. Yeah, and you mix that with the rumors of the nudity that was flying around the sex scenes. And I, I was like, I mean, this this is going to turn into a multi-million dollar, multi-billion dollar even pornography or something yeah. like that. That's my, what, That was my fear from the beginning. My, my thought was it was going to turn into a multi-million dollar version of Game of Thrones. That they were right, going right. yeah. to turn Tolkien's world into Game of Thrones. And the thing is, is like, like Tolkien's world and Martin's world, they couldn't be any different. Like Martin, right. actually, Martin actually tells Lately you in opposition. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a grimdark guy and yep. he, he, he will specifically tell you that he tries to subvert the tropes of Tolkien in his world. Like, for example, like he's not a fan of like the dark Lord trope, right? Tolkien, you've got right. the dark, you've got the first dark Lord with Melkor. And then after that, you've got the second dark Lord of, uh, you know, Sauron. Right. And that's the reason why he 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 has such a gray morality in uh, Game of Thrones, because he thinks that characters are more complicated than there being a definitive, you know, black and white, good and evil. So he depicts his characters as being morally gray. And so he, he but he talks about and like, you know, another thing, too, is that's the reason why there's so much you know, sexuality and, and violence and that type of thing, because he's trying to subvert the Tolkienian themes and tropes that's in Lord of the Rings. So I'm just, I'm like, please, please, for the love of Jesus, don't make this game of Thrones because exactly it's the, they're, they're entirely different. Like Tolkien is high fantasy. Like uh, Martin is grim, dark. Like it's very different. Please don't do this. But this image though, I hate to say it. It's got me excited for the first time. Me too. Yeah. And it's got me excited because it is just, if find the Lord of the Rings on prime, look at it. It's got like 
40,000, over 40,000 shares and 80, almost, you know, 100,000 likes. And that's just on one page. That's not counting all the other pages. It's got millions of interactions. But it's this picture of what we're thinking is probably going to be um, the city called uh, Valmar or Valamar. Right. Um, and if you look at, uh, if you look at Valinor, which is the land, uh, one of the, it's the uh, lands where, you know, a lot of the, the Valar, um, where they, they reside. Um, you, the reason why we're saying that it's this is because there's a dead giveaway in the photo that this is where it's at in the background of the photo. And this blew my mind because it took me a minute to see it. We, uh, we yeah, see, we see, uh, whenever you look at the sunset in the picture, you see the two trees, the two trees of Valinor, yeah. right? And so whenever you look on the map, um, it looks like that this is going to be set in Valmar. And uh, Valmar was the capital city in, Val uh, in Valinor. And it was the place where uh, the Valar, where they resided at. So in this second, this show set in the second age, we're probably going to get a look at least some look into seeing the the angelology of Tolkien right. depicted on screen. So I'm I'm excited about that, right? To 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 see that uh, become a reality. Um, so that I I don't know if you got anything you else you want to you want to say about that. I mean, it's it's. Uh the golden age of middle earth i mean this this is something that i was scared for uh hollywood to t even hollywood i mean this goes back to the core of tolkien's writings and tolkien's work and i don't know i'm i'm still nervous about it of what it could turn into but definitely with the image so far the image itself it has the the aura the light the the feeling you get of, of arm that we know from reading the books and from yeah. watching the series before. So yeah. it's definitely a good sign. Yeah. The, the, the architecture and the set, uh, oh, man, it's beautiful. Like, so it's spot on. Yeah. Valmar is supposed to be, well, in Tolkien's world, Valmar is, it's the city of these celestial beings. Right. So it's kind of like this, right edenic place right think about eden right eden is the the place where heaven and earth join god's council is there that's why the the seraphim are there that's why the cherubim are there that whole thing and in tolkien's world that's kind of what valmar is like it's uh it's depicted as having domes of gold and gates of gold and streets of silver right which is very very reminiscent right. of the description of the the heavenly city that comes down to earth in revelation 21, right? Tolkien is very like, like I said, Tolkien is a Christian and this stuff leaks out into his writings. And so it uh, does. Yeah. So we're going to get to see something like that. And that, that excites me, but I'm looking at the picture here and the set is just, man, they have done a fantastic job like they you can see the golden domes on in the city of valmar um you you there's just it's like this luscious garden look to it right and right. you've got the waters and you've got the boats out on the water and you can see you can't tell who it is that's in the boats but you know just beautiful work it, it, it reminds me in some ways 
of like it like you look at some of the architecture here and some of like the gazebos and that type of stuff it, it looks like a a sunnier rivendell in some ways like it's kind of what it reminds me of in some right ways. yeah yeah, yeah so. i see rivendell i see laflorian yeah 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 i i see all of that stuff kind of combined and uh so yeah i'm excited to see how it goes <sighs> I'm hoping that we get more. The only thing that I can't really get behind is the short-haired elves. I mean, I don't know if that's, if we were kind of pre-programmed for the elves with long hair from the, from the original Lord of the Rings movies, but yeah, I I just, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. There's a character uh, like, and he's, he's, it's front and center uh, in the picture. And I'm assuming that it's an elf because it has short hair, but it looks to be a man. Because whenever somebody did like an uh, like an 8K, 4K, yeah, it's an 8K master of the picture and posted it. Yeah. It's on. It's a yeah. one ring net. The one ring net. You can find it on Facebook and on uh, Instagram. They did an 8K version of it and zoomed in on this stuff, so you can see a lot of the detail in it. But it looks that like the person is a male elf, probably high elf, and you know you can see he's got a sword on his side and you know, that kind of stuff. So it's going to be, uh, yeah. But I'm sorry. I, mean, I know I saw a lot of people thought it was Galadriel. Yeah. That was Galadriel was yeah. around during that time to live in the light of the two trees. Yeah. That's what I was about to say. What, which Galadriel supposed to make, uh, make an appearance, I think in the show, right? Like Galadriel, I think is supposed to make an appearance in the show. Yeah, I think I th- so. Yeah. I think that Gandalf is supposed to make an appearance in the show as well, from what I understand. Um, which would make sense. Which would make sense that Gandalf's going to be there, right? He's a he's a Maiar, and Maiar serve. They're the spirits that serve the Valar. So this yeah. is going to be set in Valinor, and so it would make sense that he would be there. And then it would make sense that Galadriel would be there too, because like you said, she sat under the light of the two trees. The two trees are in the background. So yeah, we're going to at right. least get some of the old cast from the movies back in this new series. Which that's a I thing mean, that got me excited if. If the old cast are going to make some cameos, there's only really sort of a handful of characters that we were introduced yeah. that fit the age bracket that could show up in this yeah. sort of period here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know in the in the movies in Lord of the Rings, they talked about using special lighting when they done the shots with Galadriel. They put an overhead light to reflect into her eyes. Actually, going off of the of Tolkien's description in his work about the the aura that Gladriel gave off, she had a light that just naturally came off of her, even in into the the years of the Lord of the Rings, and it came from living under the, the light of the two trees. Yeah. Yeah. You broke up on us there for a second. You 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 dipped out on us there for a second oh. with your internet, but 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 yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. That's uh. You could, you could, you would think that one who has spent uh, time under the light of the two trees that would be reflected in movies. And Peter Jackson, I think, did right. a great job. You know, I know that people hate on the movies, you know, and they really hate on the Hobbit trilogy. But man, I, I, I love everything that we got from Peter Jackson. And there is, uh, on some things, there is a great attention to detail. Uh, and so I, I appreciate that, especially like whenever it comes to Gladriel yep. and that kind of thing. So, but I'm, I'm excited about it because I, I think that this is going to, here's why I'm excited about it. And this is some of the practical stuff. Um, if it's good, if it's not, if it's not game of Thrones, right. If it, 
it's if good. It's, if it's on point, if it's yeah. good. If it's not Game of Thrones, it's going to give something. Um, it's going to give us something that can help further shape the imagination, right? And help us to be able to perhaps think about uh, some of these things and, and picture them in our minds and and um, perhaps even shape our longings and our desires and that kind of thing. And I think that that can be a good thing, right? Especially if the show is good and Val, you know, Valmar has, uh, you know, the accurate description that Tolkien, you know, that'll help us to think of uh, a picture in our minds in an imaginative way, what the, the, the heavenly city is going to look like at the last day. Right. And, you know, that can create, we, God created us for this longing for beauty. Right. And so, you know, that's, it, I'm, I'm hoping that it can do that. So we'll, we'll see. Um, I'm still skeptical, but um, I'm, also, I'm also a little more excited than I was. So, yep. all right. Well, this brings us to the end of this week's Chinwag edition. We hope that you guys enjoyed it. We hope that you guys, uh, hopefully if you guys had some of these same questions that were asked, hopefully we were able to answer those in some ways. Hopefully you guys learned something new about the angelic hierarchy. Um, like we said, you know, there's some, the church has talked about this stuff for 2000 years. There's some great stuff out there on it. You know, Thomas Aquinas's Summa Theologiae is a great place to start on it. And you can actually find his entire Summa for free online. So if you just type in Thomas Aquinas, heavenly hierarchy, uh, or angelic hierarchy, you'll be able to find all of that for free. And that'll give you a resource to be able to think about some of this stuff. But we hope that you guys learned something. We hope that it helps you to re-mythologize the way that you view creation, that God has put these things in place, these celestial beings to help carry out his will on earth as it is in heaven. And we hope that you guys see that this stuff is beautifully mirrored and reflected in works like Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. And, right. and uh, you know, these are things that can help. They, they have helped shape our imagination in some ways, and they can do the same for you as well. So, um, so as we come to the end of this week's edition, we want to preview the last episode dropping next week in our spiritual being series, which will be on spiritual beings and ghosts. So right. this is going to be fascinating. Um, like I said, I think that this is a major stumbling block for a lot of Christians. It really is. It's a major stumbling block. It's a category that's not very well developed for, for most Christians. Um, and, um, there are texts in the Bible that talk about the spirits of the departed coming back and having conversations with people. Right. It's definitely a category that I had a lot of trouble sort of translating over from to a biblical category. And when I first came about these things, because I've been working on hauntings and stuff in my, in my work for like 14 years as, as a paranormal investigator. So it's definitely going to be a good episode. Yeah. Yeah. One of those texts we'll be talking about is the passage with the witch of Endor and her um, invoking the spirit of Saul from uh, right. the, the underworld. And, you know, that we'll be talking about that. And then we'll also probably be diving deeply into demonology next week, because one of the other things that you see manifested in this type of like a haunting phenomena sometimes can be demons right and so we've we've talked about that briefly um so far 
We've not talked about that in full depth yet. We've mostly spent our time talking about the sons of God, Genesis six, you know, that kind of stuff. But next week we'll be diving into the topics of demons a little bit deeper and talking about some of the phenomena that, that can accompany that we'll be looking in the Bible and, and seeing some of that Richie, I'm sure will also talk about some of the things he's experienced in his casework. And, um, yeah, so that's going to be exciting. That'll close out that series. Um, we've also got plans coming, uh, coming in the fall here. We're going to be starting some new series. We've got some ideas that we've been kicking around, right? Um, right. One of the, one of the big ideas that we've got so far is a series on remythologizing everything and maybe a series that focuses in on things like how Christianity remythologizes our identity, right? That we were once children of wrath. And now because of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ upon the cross, dying for our sins, disarming the rulers and the principalities in the kingdom of darkness, he has made us by way of union with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. He has made us sons of God, right? And think about that. There, we've, we've learned about the sons of God, right? Who fell. And now we get that title and we replace them. That's the reason why at the end of Revelation, you see the deceased saints sitting upon thrones, right? You, right. We've, we've replaced them. We, we get the title. We are made sons of God, that whole thing. So we have a re-mythologized identity. And we want to touch on that a little bit. We also want to touch on things like how Christianity re-mythologizes our worship like uh, with the sacraments and what happens whenever you enter a church building and the, the Sunday liturgy, right? There's more than going right. on than just you meeting, meeting up with people, right? The scripture talks about in Hebrews 12, 22, that when this happens, we enter the heavenly Mount Zion, the city of the living God, and that we are in the presence of angels in festal gathering. But you don't think about the church that way whenever you enter in, but that's what's happening. So Christianity re-mythologizes everything. We've talked about that with in the spiritual being series, right? These are spiritual beings that are really out there that the Bible talks about and are at work in the world. So we're going to probably do a series um, talking about this a little bit deeper, uh, fleshing this out a little bit deeper, uh, getting into some of this stuff. But um, for October though, we're going to have a whole month dedicated to spooky month. We'll be <laughs> spooky month. Yep. The spooky month. We'll be, uh, we, I wrote an article last year on Halloween and, you know, paganism. Um, I'm sure we'll be discussing that a little bit more. We talked about it a little bit in last week's episode with Salwin and, and that kind of stuff, but, uh, I've got an article, uh, it'll probably come out as a narrated, uh, episode. We'll have some other episodes that'll come out that month. Um, shadow Appalachia stuff should be dropping that month. So should be interesting. And um, yeah, I don't know, Richie, you got anything you want to talk about or add to that? Yeah. Another, another thing we want to focus on is I know we're going to be touching on demons a little bit in the next episode, but we were really planning a, a, an in-depth series on classical demonology. Yeah. Yeah. We've been talking about that. Um, talking about different cases, Right. Um, that type of thing. And just diving deeper into that, because we, we just, we know that there is a, a hole there whenever it comes to that, there's not a lot of people talking about it. Um, we think that between the two of us with a pastoral experience and then the experience that Richie has in the, the field, um, we have a really great, um, uh, platform to talk about this from, um, that comes from experience, not just necessarily, um, 
you know, just thinking about it in an abstract right. way. It's uh, we're, we have had our hands um, in, in the soil with this thing. So we want to talk about that and maybe shed some light on some of that stuff. And, uh, but yeah, so that should be what's uh, coming up um, by the end of the year. Um, we may have some more things happen by the end of the year. We'll see, but, uh, we hope you guys are excited about this journey that we're on. We're glad that you guys are on it with us. Also, again, make sure to head over to our Patreon and become a patron, support the sword and staff, join the order, head over to www.patreon.com backslash sword and staff order. Again, you can get this episode dropped to you hours earlier than everybody else is going to get it. And you get at least 30 more minutes of extra content whenever we drop our longer episodes bi-weekly. You get the sword and staff uncut, and it's usually Richie and I saying the stuff that we typically don't say <laughs> yeah. on on the podcast, so that everybody else can hear. So, yeah. uh, last on last week's episode, we talked about the cases of the Mothman and the Flatwoods monster, and uh, how much evidence there actually are for those cases. Um, so, if you guys are interested in that, go back, uh, go to our Patreon, become a patron go back and listen to the episodes that we've dropped there. So Richie, you got anything else to say before we head off on today's episode? No, I'm good. All right. Well guys, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week. Whenever we talk about ghosts, see you then.